0: Now, what does it mean for us today on this wonderful July the 5th with July the 4th celebrations still really much a part of our experience this morning? What does it mean to be a Christian and to be a patriot each week, we're going to be drawing on some contemporary and relevant sources, I believe. And you know, it's amazing how relevant sources, even though maybe the speaker uh, that we will quote is, is, um, is passed away, how those relevant sources still speak to us today and are relevant because they're close to the words and the ministry of Jesus. And I think such is the case today. Uh, as we will be uh, drawing on the words of William Sloan Coffin, who was the pastor at Riverside Church in New York City. Now, he's been gone uh, for more than a decade now, but his words were captured in a book called Credo. And there are statements that we're going to be um, calling on today in the sermon, and we'll be referencing some of his words uh, in the near future in this sermon series. And other prophetic voices we may call on, like the voice of uh, the Baptist preacher and social activist, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We know that he was assassinated in 1968, but still his words inform our nation and our Christian witness in the midst of our struggles in this democracy. You know, we're going to... acknowledge that we're in an unprecedented time due to COVID-19 and the unrest related to race relations and protests and uh, statues and masks and social distancing and, and all of this in the midst of a very political year. We need to, as Christians, find our center, find our foundation, and again, acknowledge Um, where our true loyalty lies in the midst of being a Christian and a patriot. So I ask you, don't we need to be people of faith who are informed by our faith and also informed by our Christian values? And we as Methodists, we have those simple rules of doing no harm and doing good and staying in love with God. That's our primary rule as Wesleyan Christians. I want us to hear uh, this morning the words of William Sloan Coffin, and I want us to meditate on these words because I think they speak to the very heart of issues that we face today in our country. Coffin said, There are three kinds of patriots, two bad, one good. The bad ones are the uncritical lovers and... The loveless critics, two patriots, true good patriots, carry on a lover's quarrel with their country, a reflection of God's lover's quarrel with all the world. Isn't that true? Doesn't God have a lover's quarrel that he carries on with the world? Because we know we're not there yet. We know the kingdom is coming, but not here yet. And this other word from Coffin, uh, recorded in the book Credo. How do you love America? Don't say my country right or wrong. That's like saying my grandmother, drunk or sober. It doesn't get you anywhere. Don't just salute the flag and don't burn it either. Wash it. Make it clean. How do you love America? America with the vision and compassion of Christ, with a transcendent ethic that alone can fulfill the patriot's dream and sees beyond the years, her alabaster city's gleam, undimmed by human tears? Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. Our revolutionary forebearers seem to understand that, they didn't bestir themselves to salvage the past. Their political debate pitted one kind of future against another kind of future. Friends, we as Christians have a, have a passion for a future that is all about the one Christ Jesus laid out for us. And that passion for that future is one that we work toward even and especially as patriots. What kind of future are you working toward? Now, today is July the 5th, and we say today, um, God bless America. And we're proclaiming that God is above America because we believe that God has the power to bless America. So we, as Christians, put our patriotism in a context of God. And country. This is at the heart of today's lesson. That we have heard read by Stephen this morning. Um, the words of Jesus from the 12th chapter of Mark's gospel. Jesus' day was very troubled too. Uh, the, the land of Palestine was, was um, occupied by, um, by Romans. Uh, Gentiles. Gentiles. Um, Infidels, in essence, people who didn't um, didn't honor the law of God as the people of the land understood it. And Jesus' lesson today that we read about is about examining your loyalties. And Jesus, in essence, said, Don't get me mired in political wrangling. We are gods, and we should act like it. Lay down your heavy load, Jesus was saying, and focus on the things that are God's. You know, to understand today's scripture, we must understand the political situation of Jesus' day. So I'm going to give us just a little bit of context, a little bit of background. When Herod the Great died in 4 BC, before the birth of Jesus, he was the ruler of all of Palestine albeit a puppet ruler because um, it was dominated by the Romans, of course. And the Romans allowed Herod to be the king. But when he died, he divided up the kingdom into three parts. And he gave the kingdom to his three remaining sons. It was a disaster, a catastrophe. And and the result was that in A.D. 6, shortly after the birth of Jesus, Romans stepped in and they took over direct control. Immediately, provisions began to be made for taxation. And most of the common people accepted these provisions as really inevitable. But there was one man, Judas of Galilee, who raised a violent protest and opposition Judas of Galilee started a movement that was later known as the Zealot Movement. The Zealots were those who followed Judas of Galilee. They would rather die than submit to Roman rule, and many of them did. Masada is a very good example in Jewish history of those who died opposing the Roman government. You know, it's interesting when you look at the disciples of Jesus, uh, he had both a tax collector, Matthew, and a zealot um, who who was Simon, who was part of his inner circle, those 12 disciples. Can you imagine the conversations that they had around the campfire? And yet, they worked together with their Lord, uh, their Savior, to be about the business of the kingdom. In the text that we've read this morning, there's that, uh, that interesting um, example of the Pharisees um, and the Herodians who are coming to Jesus, and they are trying to trap him with a question. And then they ask him about um, uh, the taxation. And he said, bring me a coin. And the image on it would have been of uh, Tiberius, the current emperor. So all the emperors were called Caesar and around the coin there would have been a title that declared that uh, this coin was in the image of Tiberius Caesar the divine Augustus and, and on the reverse would have been the title Pontifex Maximus which meant high priest of the Roman nation Now, you can see the dilemma that this caused the Jews, especially those who would adhere to the law, like the the Pharisees. Not only did the coin itself break one of the Ten Commandments, not to have any graven images, but it also proclaimed in writing that Caesar is divine, that Caesar is God. It smacked of downright idolatry. And one wonders why the Pharisees were even carrying coins at all. And you, you do note that Jesus has no coin because he has to have one brought to him. There's a certain hypocrisy in the air, even in the illustration where Jesus is asking, well, bring me a coin, bring me one of your coins that violates what we truly believe. You know, Jesus has posed uh, uh, this question about the taxes. And if Jesus said, pay the tax, then Jesus would have offended many in the crowd who had real problems with paying the tax and with the coinage itself. If he were to say, do not pay the tax, then he would have denounced um, the Roman government and would be seen as a rebel. So as a good rabbi, Jesus answered the question with another question. And he simply asks, whose likeness and inscription is this? Well, the obvious answer was Caesar's. And then in the King James Version, we have this portion of that that verse, 17th verse. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know, we make a mistake if we limit the response of Jesus to just be about taxation or taxes or money. It's all about loyalty. Where is your loyalty? You know, Jesus was not going to be drawn into a political debate, as sometimes we find ourselves drawn into The staying establishes a priority of loyalty, asking questions. What belongs to Caesar? What bears the mark of Caesar? And what belongs to God? What bears the mark of God? Or more clearly stated, Jesus said, I'm not going to get caught up in your religiosity or in your political debates. My concern is to focus on the things of God. In my homeland. Therefore a Christian's highest. And most godly priority. Is the loving actions. Toward humankind. Give to the emperor. The things that are the emperor's. And to God the things. That are God's. Jesus would say. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And love your neighbor. As you love yourself these are the things of God what belongs to Caesar what belongs to God you know have you thought uh, recently about uh, so many of the debates that we're having have to do with images have you thought about it graven images how much talk we have this day about statues of heroes to some who are villains to others, but at the end of the day, they're images. And whether we put Harriet Tubman's um, image on the $20 bill or, or, or not, it's about, it's about images. And, and sometimes our government points us in the direction of well-being toward others, which we in the church, it seems like, should very much support. And yet the talk of masks and social distancing and avoiding large groups seems to offend some, even of the Christian faith. Do we obey Caesar or revolt? What would Jesus say? Always make your loyalty to God, not politics, and always make your default action the well-being and care of others. What do the words of the song mean? I'm going to lay down my burden or my heavy load down by the riverside. You know, maybe we need to hear that message today uh, in a very personal way. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, what are those burdens we need to lay down down by the riverside? Uh, what are those heavy loads that we've put on ourselves that Jesus would encourage in this lesson today? Lay it down, down by the riverside. You know, if you or I are going to lay down our heavy load, then we'll be moving to, to make God our primary focus and politics something in the background. You know twenty five years ago, a woman named Marlene Wilson wrote an article entitled "Religion and the Sleeping Giant." In it, she defined the enormous potential of churches, or faith communities all across this country. These religious organizations um, and and what it would be like if you materialized thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of volunteers acting on their faith and moral principles to tackle social needs addressing that which is primary to their call and to their faith irregardless of what they may um, believe politically or how they vote and it became popular it became popular with President Clinton in the welfare reform where churches, some churches were actually given uh, uh, benefits because of their uh, their help toward causes that the government supported. And of course, we're familiar with President uh, Bush and, um, and his faith-based initiative. It, it effectively threw down the gauntlet to churches and to religious organizations saying it's time to unleash the armies of compassion in every city of America to provide hope for people where hope doesn't exist. Wow. And we know President Bush, a person of strong faith. President Clinton also. And, and, and they were persons who called us, the church, to higher standards. To, to, to render to God what is God's. This is not to say that the government does not have an important role to play in the well-being of our citizens. We need the government right now in a, in a very strong way. But the challenges, they're clear. The church can no longer be the church and continue to ignore the, the homeless, the hungry, the poor. The imprisoned, the addicted, the welfare to work for families and on their behalf. Racism, sexism, other injustices of all kinds, they're our business too. And the many human matters regarding COVID-19 are very much a part of what we as Christians are called to take on. And we know the words of Jesus not only in the 12th chapter of Mark's gospel, but we know the words of Jesus throughout about how we're called to be uh, those who love in so many ways, those who are homeless, those who are sick, those who are in prison. The, The least of these, Jesus would say, you've done it unto me if you've done it unto them. So we must continue Here at Lover's Lane, the good work that we're doing right now, uh, addressing the needs of the working poor as we are right now through our food ministry. Sixty-plus thousand people have been fed because this church stepped up to a food ministry that was so direly needed. We must continue to communicate with those who are in nursing homes. Today, uh, we celebrate that over this weekend there have been... Dozens, even hundreds of packages going out to our homebound and nursing homes and those who are truly at home who can't get out. Celebrating with them just like we do on every July the 4th, uh, the love of God and the love of country. We have to continue that. We must uplift the many ministries that we have at the heart of what we do in our well being and care for others especially the vulnerable. We have to continue to communicate and to minister to those who are in the prison, though we can't go there as we do twice a week, every week and have for many years. We still can communicate and can let them know that we care and that we are here and there's a better day coming when things will return to a sense of normalcy. Furthermore, we're discovering that faith-based initiatives have a clear hope for transformation and challenge to disciplined living and very successful in tackling social problems. We Christians have it at our very core of what we believe and and, and what we value, namely the ministry of Jesus and the words of Jesus. This is our wheelhouse, Christians, to care for the needs of others not to be about the divisive ways of the world, but to be about the ways of Jesus, which are always the ways of a good and compassionate God. Finally, if we truly believe that we are one nation under God and hope to be indivisible, not divided, then we need to move from political Posturing to persistent prayer. Now, friends, I believe in prayer wholeheartedly. And I'm a bit offended when people uh, uh, talk about prayer as if it's not doing anything. When I know prayer is at the heart of doing everything. The greatest example Jesus gave of his loyalty to God was his prayer life. How many times in the Gospels we see Jesus retreating so that he can go to a place of prayer? It's oftentimes after doing um, uh, unbelievable ministry, and it, it's oftentimes before unbelievable ministry is done. Jesus found that time to pray to his Abba, to his daddy, to his father, to his loving parent. Prayer was prioritized by him and should be by us. You know, look at the, the example that we have really throughout our, our Holy Bible. Now you can read it over and over again. When the early church wanted to change the culture, what did they do? They prayed. Jesus sent them to that upper room to pray for 50 days before Pentecost, 50 days after the ascension. And when the early church had a disagreement, what did they do? They prayed. When their leaders were put in jail, they prayed. When the circle of believers needed to be expanded to the Gentiles, as both Peter and Paul had been inspired to do, what did they do? They prayed. And we as Christians must continue to pray. We, we have a a nightly prayer time that the church has been doing with the different staff members at 8.30 every evening where we come to you and share with you in prayer. And personally, I've been leading a prayer time every evening, nearly every evening. Um, we, we skip a night every once in a while, but it, it happens at nine, thir- 9 o'clock or around 9 o'clock. And we pray together. And those prayers are very important. The prayers of the people are very important. We need to continue to distribute our prayer shawls with the messages that we're praying for you, that you as a congregation help us distribute to those who you know are in need. Today we'll celebrate a socially distancing um, holy communion in our garden and we'll also have prayer shawls available for people to pick up to deliver to those who need to know we're praying for them. You know, this all reminds me of one of my favorite stories. It's a story about a local congregation that became greatly disturbed that a nightclub was opening in their neighborhood. The concerned pastor called on the members of the church to come together for a prayer meeting where the they asked the Lord to intervene related to this nightclub moving into their neighborhood. That very night of the prayer, there was a thunderstorm and lightning struck the nightclub and it burned it to the ground. The owner of the club proceeded to sue the church for damages. The church denied any responsibility, and when it was time for the judge to rule, he made this observation. He said, Whether or not the church is responsible for the fire, only God knows. But it does appear that the nightclub owners believe in prayer while the church does not. I I think that's a humorous story. But it's also a sad reality if the church doesn't wholeheartedly believe in the importance of prayer as our patriotic duty. That we be persistent in prayer that we pray for those things that bring us together, those things that keep our focus on God and our focus on love of neighbor. Are we digging our heels in to believe political living and posturing is all important right now and political agendas that tend to only divide and postings and other kinds of social media activity is above the important Commitment that we have, the loyalty that we own to a God who calls us together? Are we praying that God will bless us to lead us to care for our fellow Americans and human beings all across the earth? And we Wesleyans to do no harm, to do good, and to stay in love with God? That's our loyalty. If God were to bless America, would we be ready for the kind of blessing it would likely bring if we turned it all over to God? Let us make this season, this trying time, this challenging period, a time for persistent prayer. Let us pray for our country. Let us pray for our sons and daughters in the military, our husbands and wives in the military, our mothers and fathers in the military. Let us pray for our police women and policemen. Let us pray for our president, Donald Trump, and for the former vice president who's running on a Democratic ticket, Joe Biden. Let let us pray for those first responders, uh, not just the police and the firemen, but also those health care workers. Let us pray that protests are are nonviolent. Let us pray for our church. Let, Let us pray that we can respond in the ways that God is directing us through this persistent prayer. And let us pray for one another. One another. That we can be about, though, the business of loyalty and rendering to God what is God's and laying down the burden, laying down the burden of those things that divide. God bless America. And God bless us to primarily be loyal to God in our pursuit of all that God would have us be about. Amen.